Welcome everyone to today's podcast. Today, you are being hosted by Anthony Dannon from Cocoa and our good friend Tom and new co-host on the Super Angel podcast, Tom Wilson from CK. Today, Anthony and Tom are talking to Edwina, the dynamic GM of MoneyGram Online International, where she's busy driving growth outside the U.S. Edwina's journey includes leading global strategies at Eloy and skyrocketing its value to $1.5 billion as its COO in New York City. She's not just about corporate leadership, though. Edwina is also an angel investor with AdVentures, a mentor in Innovate UK's Women Innovation Program, and an expert in residence at Sea Ventures. All of this has made Edwina become one of the most recognized women in fintech in the uk and i promise you you're in for a great episode is this a dream no it's not a dream i'm an angel why would god send me an angel because god knows that everyone needs a little coaching now and then i'm loving angels i saw an angel angels In a world where podcasts outnumber humans, we try at EUVC to be mildly more interesting. Tune in at EU.VC to watch this episode instead of just listening. EU.VC, where the extraordinary is just another Monday. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. Edwina, welcome to the Super Angel Podcast. I'm super excited to have you with us. Thank you. Particularly excited given your unique perspective, you know, having gone back and forth between the UK and the US, but you'll tell us all about that. So maybe let's get started with that, actually. Do you want to share a bit about your story and what got you into angel investing in the first place? Yeah, I'm happy to. I have always been an early stage business builder, either as an early employee, a founder, an advisor, mentor, etc. Always love that kind of challenge of building. And most recently, I've done this at Alloy. I joined Alloy as maybe the sixth employee out in New York when they closed their seed round of fundraising. And I worked alongside the founders to build the business through to nearly 300 people, and our unicorn valuation at Series C. And that was before moving back to London to head up our global expansion. And I've always been interested in kind of working with founders, working on business, and investing side of it really drew those different components of my past career together, particularly working at Startup Bootcamp and running FinTech Accelerators and meeting hundreds and hundreds of pre-seed startups every year as well. The other components of angel investing for me and what motivated me to do that is, you know, getting access to very high risk, but potentially high return investment, investments that you don't necessarily get access to otherwise. And then secondly, I have a real passion for improving the diversity of the tech ecosystem. So being able to put money into the folks, into the hands of folks who wouldn't normally get access to investment cash. And I've done angel investing personally, and then more recently through Aid Ventures as an angel associated with Aid Ventures. Would you like to share a bit more on your transition from, let's say, started bootcamp into Alloy? Like, how did you come across them or anything else that's like an interesting part of the story you'd like to share? 
Yeah. So working in a startup accelerator and you're meeting hundreds of startups, you're, meet, you're reviewing pitch decks, you're following their journey, you're seeing how they play out. And the one kind of thread that tied any success together from these startups was the founders. So no matter how good the traction, the market, the technology, how wonderful the IP that was created, if the founding team wasn't strong, then the business would fail. And when I met Laura, who's one of the founders of Alloy, and then subsequently Tommy and Charles, I just saw this you know, wonderful founding team. They had past experience of working together. They had this incredible vision and mission. They had really strong values. And, I, and you know, most importantly, they were open to feedback and they were kind of listening to what people were saying and taking that back into the business and you know, optimizing the business accordingly. And those are huge strengths that really drew me to them as founders, you know, more than actually the, the business idea at the time. Super interesting. And it's, it's really interesting to hear that kind of transition, as you said, from the start bootcamp to, to, to working um, more directly with, with Aloe, which is a, a fascinating business, I think, really, really making an impact on, on the fintech scene globally currently. I guess honing in on the, the angel investing side, It'd be great to hear a little bit about, you know, maybe a memorable deal. Maybe it's something which is one of your first investments or even, you know, a more recent investment or even, you know, a, a deal which comes to mind when you think about angel investing that was, you know, memorable in, in, in some way. I'd love to kind of like unpack that a bit. Yeah, it's pro- it probably my first investment that I made, which was into Fiat Republic. It's like, if I... If I could invest, I would definitely invest. And I was like, wait, <laughs> I'm at a stage in my life where I could now start doing this. So I had this kind of quite shy, awkward conversation. It's like, do you do you want another like really tiny Czech investor on your cap table? Would you be open to that? Can I find out more about the business? So I'm taking that first step into angel investing. Yeah, I'm actually so quite interesting because I've actually found that like in the end of the day, the most interesting deals, like they don't care so much about the size of the check when it comes to angels, but so much more about the value add, right? And if they can see that you're committed to it and you have skin in the game, which is not necessarily commensurate to to the investment size, right? When you're an angel, I think that's what, what matters most. Sophie's great, right? I think I remember her from back in the day in, in Germany. She, she, she's amazing. Do you want to actually, now that you've done a few more, right? Before we go to you know the next segment where we'll unpack a bit more about your strategy and some of the different topics you already mentioned, which I'm excited to, to speak more about. Would you like to tell us a bit more, you know, now looking back over the you know last few years that been angel investing, what would you say it's given you, like personally, professionally? Why do you keep doing it, right? Yeah, De- definitely the surprise benefit has been the network and the industry knowledge. It wasn't something that I went into angel investing with the objective of gaining those two things. But yeah, both of those really have come across, particularly working with various angel syndicates and different communities of, of folks who angel invest meeting some really incredible people and then learning about how they approach angel investing, how they think about opportunities, seeing just seeing the trends that are coming through the market based on the number of deals that you get on a certain topic, for example. You see like, oh, okay, this is where this is where people think opportunity is. And, and also like subsequently, is that invested in by VCs or not? Do, do other folks see an opportunity here? One of my colleagues, uh, Monica Murthy, was on a podcast the other day talking about her angel investing journey and the idea of if you write just a handful of very small checks each year, it's actually 
kind of comparable to some of the members clubs that people set up for the benefit of network and industry knowledge. So it's like a different way. You can kind of almost justify some of the costs that you're putting against that from a personal basis from that perspective. And then the, the second surprise thing is just rekindling my love for working with different founders on different business ideas, having been so long, super focused on alloy. That's been a joy as well. Someone told me once, I think a, a lifelong kind of seed investor that doing pre-seed and seed, and maybe that resonates with you, Tom, is like from a purely financially rational perspective, kind of on the spectrum of irrational. Like if you wanted to just make money, you can just sit back and do series C. So it's so much about like the passion of being by the side of, you know, side of founders from the, the start, right? Completely. And also I think that, you know, you touched upon there the, the idea of almost building a network, joining kind of like a, a different club and, and, and it, using this in a way to do that. And I've also seen people, you know, consider things like even advanced degrees and MBAs and instead actually go, actually, I'll learn more about business models and working closely with founders from investing money and, and, and being involved in that way. So it's, it's yeah, I think there's, there's, there's many kind of tangential benefits, which may be on totally obvious on the outside, but definitely once people kind of like take that plunge see that's been some of your experience as well oh no not about the thesis it's been it's been really good to kind of like understand a bit about your story and you know why why you're angel investing and and, and hear more about about that and, and, and the journey so far i'd love to actually kind of like dive in there and understand a little bit about maybe where you are today in terms of you know, number of investments, what type of you know portfolio companies that you have invested in, whether you have like more of a sectoral focus or not. So it'd be great to, to hear a little bit more about, about that, that strategy side of things. Sure. So I have done just under 10 deals, so very extensive angel investing so far, all in B2B SaaS, fintech, reg tech space. And as I said, done a bunch of these personally, and then some I'm doing through the Ada Ventures angel program. And they include the likes of Fiat Republic, OPTO, Rosalie. So across kind of deals across both the UK and Europe. And and what about, I mean, have you put, maybe it's, you know, still early days, but have you already put some thought into generally how many are you targeting on doing, you know, I don't know, portfolio diversification? And then I would love to shed a bit more light on on the thread on your thesis, right, behind behind your investments as well. So I knew that I had absolutely had to have enough capital to do at least 10 angel investments because of how high risk they are and, and the likelihood of return. But ideally doing more than that to give you a higher chance of seeing something come back. As an operator, there's only so much time and attention I can give to this. So not too much that it like stretches me too far in terms of the other things I need to be doing in my life. <laughs> I can dig more into my thesis, angel investing thesis. So when I think about angel investing, I start with kind of three qualifiers. So the first one is, is this deal in the B2B SaaS, FinTech or RegTech space? Again, as an operator, I need to filter out a bunch of deals quickly and spend my time and energy where I already have knowledge and where I think I can kind of have, have an advantage, a competitive advantage. The next qualifier is whether or not they have a diverse founding team. So a team that comprises or includes some typically underrepresented folks within that team. There are two reasons why that's kind of critical. It's a table stakes for me. So the first one is that 
diverse founders or leadership teams have proven to drive better business results. So as an investor, I want best return on my money. So therefore, it makes sense to invest in that. And then secondly, diverse teams are more likely to be overlooked or underestimated. And therefore, if you can see an opportunity where others can't, then you might be getting a more interesting deal. And then the third you know, qualifying factor, which might you know, dig into more later, is do I personally care about this? Am I interested? Do I want to work on this topic? Is it something that I am going to willingly spend time on? And that's another thing that has helped kind of qualify out the deals to start with. And then I start looking at the deal itself. <laughs> so after those kind of three things have been ticked off, and then I start looking at the mission and vision, the values are very like founder-driven to start with. What are they trying to do? And what are they trying to tackle? What do they believe in? Why are they doing this in the first place? How are they driven? Whether What kind of execution they've done so far? Any traction, any testing of assumptions, like even if they haven't got revenue, what, like what are the little things that they've been doing to chip away and solidify their idea? And then technology, because I like investing in, in technology businesses and particularly innovative or you know, businesses with, with high scale potential. The market, why now, why this opportunity, and then what's going to make them win out of other folks in the space. So that's kind of like my, my run through when I'm thinking about a deal. It makes a ton of sense. I think everything's definitely covered there. It, as you've, I suppose, those, those initial checks that you've done, that kind of like 10, 10 company portfolio that you've started to build up, have you found any of your, if you think about those kind of buckets and those, those criteria that you have for investing, that the weighting has changed at all from when you began and maybe you thought it's all about the team to what it is now? Or have you kind of seen that be applied quite consistently? The one that was was a new learning was that do I care about it? And I felt, you know, I felt like I should assess a deal for whether or not this has got good potential and good returns. And, you know, is is this really something that could be a great business opportunity to great scale? And I spent quite a bit of time and energy doing that. And then I realized, actually, I just don't care. I don't care about this business, even if it's going to be great. Like, it's not, it's not something I'm going to spend time on. And if I'm putting my money in, then I want to be, you know, I want to be connected to the founder and the business problem. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask, actually, you know, honing in a bit more into kind of criteria, specifically founders, right? Having now met, I'm, I'm sure, many companies to have ended up with, you know, 10 portfolio, like, what would you say is the one element you look out for when it comes to founders or a few that like, you know, for you are, are indicators that these are people I, I really want to back? Yeah. So the mission and vision is important to me because when you're very early stage in your journey, whatever you think you're going to be building as a business probably isn't going to be the business that you end up with. And if you have a broader mission and vision, you'll be able to change and edit and optimize that business to meet the end objective that you're heading towards, but without going off course. And it gives you more room to be flexible on that business idea versus saying, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to stick to it. I also think the mission and vision are really important because it's a compelling story, which you can hire folks with, that you can get investment on. And having that narrative and story is really, really important at early stage. And then being open to feedback and ideas and understanding where your strengths and weaknesses are. If you meet a founder who is, who is too high on ego and can't do that, then they're not going to 
take the market learnings, the customer learnings, the product insights and take that back in the business. They're just going to stick on the, I know this is the thing people just don't understand. And, and I've seen that really be an Achilles heel to a few founders over the years. Is you kind of, I suppose, taking a step back from, from that specific area, but if you think about when you're working with founders, so when you've actually, you know, made the investments, what, what have you found as the, you know, the value prop that you bring post-investment that is, is most resonated with the founders that you've supported so far? Yeah, it's a bit of a mixture at the moment. That was actually, that's another learning. Investing through syndicates sometimes means you get really engaged founders who want to take advantage of the angel network. And sometimes folks use the syndicate to get money. So that, so that's a learning for future investments that I make with syndicates and thinking about what do I want from this angel investment? Is it purely returns or is it engagement with the, with the founder? And, and for me, often it is like, I'd like to work with the founder of the business a little bit. And then value prop, give a range of things that I've worked with founders on from network, either connecting to other angels or investors or experts that might be beneficial to their business talking through some of their particular challenges they're facing and scaling at the moment, talking about some of the industry expertise that I've gained over the years. So yeah, kind of pulling on different threads depending on the founders and, and the business and where they're at. Got it. Got it. No, no, no. I can see, I can see so much kind of like value to, to provide and, and unpack there, which, which, makes, which makes a lot of sense. If you're thinking, I suppose, taking, taking conversation in a slightly different direction, but obviously one of the the missions of this podcast is to help kind of connect the, the European ecosystem. So, you know, broader and obviously you've got this experience from the US and also in the UK, but I'd love to hear a little bit about how you think about kind of international investments. You know, if you make the, the makeup of those 10 investments so far, it, where they, where they are, are they mostly UK? Have, have you, have you gone outside of UK and, and how you think through, through that kind of international lens? Yeah. So, so I've done a couple of deals in Europe, but the majority have been in the UK when I think about doing international investments, it's having a trusted party who you know has done the due diligence on that deal, on the market, they understand the dynamics. So the things that you're going to be less familiar with often help get conviction in investing in, in somebody who's operating in a different country. So as much as you can do the diligence on the founder and the vision and mission, et cetera, not being as close to the actual market dynamics that's why I look for, for kind of that expertise elsewhere to help guide me on that. Couldn't agree more. And would you practically like seek doing more international as in, do you, do you think about that as a lens on, you know, diversifying on portfolio or do you feel that like proximity really matters? Right. I'm, you know, talking about two topics that, you know, I contradict. Yeah. I think in terms of the value that I can add as an angel investor, and the deals that therefore I'm interested in. I would be interested in investing in more European deals as long as I can see the potential to scale internationally because that's something that I can really lean in on and support with. And I think you touched upon this, this earlier, Edwina, which I'd love to kind of speak a little bit about now. Obviously, how you kind of collaborate and maybe work with, with other VCs. Obviously, both me and me come from... That, that side of the table a little bit. And you mentioned the, the, the work you've been doing with, with Ada. So I'd love to hear a bit more about how you're collaborating with VCs, whether it's, you know, you're sharing deal flow with VCs or VCs are kind of bringing you into deal flow and how you've seen 
that network develop again during the course of the, the 10 investments you've made to date. Yeah, all of those flavors. So VCs sending me deals that they think would be a good fit for as an angel, me getting to know different VCs and their portfolio strengths and interests and being able to send them deals. And then more formally with Ada Ventures, they run an angel program where they bring in a group of a group of angels from across the UK with different communities and different networks and give them the financial ability to go and angel invest under the Ada Ventures brand name but with financial upside as an angel. So they're really trying to broaden out and diversify their deal pipeline and also VC investment in general. And then certainly through this process, yes, absolutely met a lot more investors through being an angel investor. Are you thinking about like systematizing some of that as in, uh, you know, I'm putting my VC lens hat on, right? We usually like to, you know, systematically, I'd love to collaborate systematically with Tom, right? And, you know, do deals together and share like, Besides the ADA kind of structure, and I think, you know, the, the guys are amazing. Are you thinking about systematizing that or is it very opportunistic, like people that you like hanging out with or people that you end up meeting in more events over time? You know, how are you thinking about all that? Yeah, it is absolutely opportunistic at this time. The, oh, the other, you know, great things that I'm involved in that I've mentioned over this podcast already has been the angel syndicates. So there are a few different syndicates with different flavors, different intentions and meeting people through that as well. Over time, yes, I will refine and hone that in terms of, you know, which places or which groups or syndicates am I most likely to be getting the deals that interest me and who are the people that I tend to like working with or, again, get inspired by their deal flow. So I'm sure that will kind of just optimize over time. But so far, more the broad opening side to see what's out there and, and then can work with it on time. And please do resist like, you know, VCs that like to do everything systematically, right? In the end of the day, a lot of it is about enjoying it, right? And, and why you're doing that. So yeah. with that in mind, actually, let's move into the next segment. Got here learning more about them angels, are you? So let's talk about core learnings. You might have touched on some already, but if you had to choose three core learnings from your time angel investing, which would those be? First one absolutely has to be how network-driven investing is. I don't think I fully appreciated this when I came in, nor did I appreciate the role that angels play as, as that gatekeeper to the network. So angels are often ones that are bringing the deals through, that are connecting them to other angels, are connecting them to VCs. So they are the starting point to that whole like cascade of network that exists in the world of investing. If you are motivated by diversifying where VC dollars go, then feel a responsibility to broaden your network and try and make your network more accessible. And that has quite, has quite a burden, an operational burden on it, a time and resource burden to do that. Ada Ventures is doing this by bringing these angels who already have existing networks and trying to kind of empower them to do angel investing and therefore like give access to new, new communities into the angel ecosystem. But yeah, I, I think I'd underestimated the network piece. <laughs> Second learning is going to be the role of hype and FOMO in raising around. Again, hadn't, you know, I, I knew it's important, but I hadn't really like got fully immersed into that hype cycle. So if you invest in something, you want to get others bought in, you want to say, yes, I stand behind this deal. So you have to kind of create some of this hype as well and this, this fear of missing out in order to drive further investment interest. 
the VC industry is, is pretty small. So a deal moves quite quickly around folks. Like within a matter of, of days, there's various people have WhatsApped you <laughs> a particular deal. Have you seen this? Have you seen this? So once you're out there raising, everyone knows you're raising. And if you're a founder and you poorly time this, maybe you want to do the first round of your pitch and then you come back and iterate and then come back out again and try and raise again. It, it can be pretty disastrous because there's this herd mentality and if the herd says, no, we're passing on this, then it takes a lot for an investor to, to stick their neck out and say, actually, no, I, I do believe in this business. And as an angel investor, I've kind of become a little bit repelled by hype, which is, which is a little counterintuitive too, because there's some great deals that have got a lot of hype. <laughs> so you want to you try and cut through where the hype is real and where the hype is not and, and don't be turned off from a deal feels too high for you either. The, the last learning is, is just like getting excited about a deal and you want to you spend your time on things you care about, you know, looking at businesses which are not just a band-aid, but they're doing something, you know, really impactful on a particular problem. I saw a pitch deck the other day that was trying to solve a problem, which was a six-day problem. I was like, six days isn't a problem. It's <laughs> because something takes six days. You know, like, let's think about something that's really big or chunky to spend time and energy on. And, and yeah, digging in on things you get excited about. I really like that. I wanted to jump in actually and, and make a comment or ask you, uh, following up on your second learning on kind of resisting FOMO, right? And I think you touched on a lot of very interesting things there, right? Like herd mentality, which goes, I guess, counter to the whole nature of early venture, but in reality is the majority of. And generally speaking, you know, I think Maybe specialization really helps in some respects. It can help also counter because you sometimes need to be slightly naive to back exceptional and interesting new things. So would love to hear, you know, how do you think about that, right? Do you have any mechanisms on like balancing that out or, you know, staying cold minded when it comes to like formal culture and being sold on an amazing founder reinventing the world? I think having a thesis, like knowing why you're going out and investing and what you want to see and then comparing the deals to that and kind of staying honest to what you're doing and why, you know, why did you get into this does help. And then I, I think, you know, I have to actually force myself to really look at a deal if it has got too much hype <laughs> because someone was like the opposite end of being drawn in. Now I'm almost you know, too repelled. So try, you know, again, try, <laughs> try to just put that, to, put that aside and look at it without thinking about the context in which it's come to you or what else you know about that deal and look at it as it is. On your, I think your third kind of like learning around being personally excited about the deal, I'd love to like ask around kind of, I guess, particularly areas that, that, that excite you, but also whether being immersed in, you know, such a successful business in one specific space, whether that kind of adds to the excitement that you have for other businesses in that space or puts the bar exceptionally high for when you meet yeah. many businesses in that space. So yeah, it would be great to get your thoughts on, on that side of things. And this is the thing about being excited about a deal, right? Because I found that I've got very excited about rig tech startups <laughs> recently, which is definitely not everyone's bag, but I, I love a bit of rig tech. <laughs> so, I love it. I love it but, as well. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> so it's whatever personally floats your boat on that side. And then investing within the space that you're an industry you're already familiar with, full stop, makes you a lot more skeptical of whether the business is going to be successful or not. I do think, you know, I have a very 
deep niche knowledge around identity and compliance and fraud and, and all of that jazz. And, and there's some real gaps that have yet to be solved. So I'd be fascinated to see businesses being built in certain areas. And I think when I do see folks innovating or you know, really trying to change an existing an existing industry, I want to see them, I want to see something radically different. I want to see like, why are they doing, like, how are they going to do this? Like, what's motivating? What What's their thesis that they're building towards as well? And why is this really going to shake up something where there are quite a few players in as well? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And maybe I'm projecting as well, because I've done a lot of like fintech investing and, you know, I did a bit of operating in fintech, so it's not exactly the same for sure. But like one thing I found as a rule of thumb is, you know, you have, let's say, a prepared mind for certain areas, but... When it's like a very interesting founder, so like an operator that has seen a problem or, you know, I guess seems like someone who's from the space, I'm willing to throw everything in the bin and take the call. And then I'm willing to actually like really morph my thing. And it's a very tangible proxy, right? Like of like, okay, I think the way they're doing this thing in KYB, there's thousands of, and it doesn't make any sense, but suddenly there's this phenomenal, interesting operator starting something there. I'm super skeptical, but you know what? I'm not. I want to go have that call and like be proven wrong. Yes, that's good. That's actually that's another learning. Is this the role I think of confirmation bias? You're like this looks super. Like this business, this is going to work. And like the founder is so great. Okay, okay. I'll ask them about this, and if they tell me this thing, it's definitely no. And then they tell you that thing, and you're like, no, nah, sort it. I'm sure I'll figure it out. <laughs> this is going to be great. So there's, I think, confirmation bias has crept in, and I and I have to try and reconcile that too. But that goes back to our, you know, the earlier discussion it's having around the founder will be changing their business and they are going to pivot and they are going to take learnings on. So if you believe in the founder and you believe in the bigger mission they're working towards, then they'll, they'll probably be changing their business anyway. A hundred percent. I can, we can bond over a drink to tell you a bit more about a few examples like that, that I've backed that have actually ended up being much better than others where I thought I knew better. Right. But that's like my lens to it. Before we go into the next section that like Tom's going to take us through, wanted to double click on your first learning actually, and more also for the benefits of, I guess, both us and the listeners. You did mention about how network driven investing is. You also mentioned that if you want to change things in the investment sphere, that's a place to start from and diversity being a big lens. Any tips, any specific areas, any pools of network that you've consciously expanded on or that you're part of that you think can really move that agenda forward? Yeah, I'm definitely still learning how best to do this in practice. But I think talking about angel investing, talking about it with different folks who wouldn't normally talk about it with, just you know, trying to think about who is getting angel investment dollars right now. And, and it's normally people that have worked closely with successful founders or early employees from, from businesses that have grown pretty large and, and have had some kind of exit or you know, ability to exit. And those networks or types of people are generally the same as well. So how can you open up that door? How can you give people more of an understanding of what angel investing is, how they can access that, who they can talk to, just trying to kind of demystifying angel investing, both as like whether or not somebody can angel invest and then whether or not somebody can go and raise from an angel investor. I think that will be like the biggest change that we that we can do as angel investors. I think it's a super important point to get across and totally agree. The final section that we're going to go into now 
is the quickfire round. So it's quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. How does that sound? I'm ready for it. Ready for it. I like it. First up, what is the most kind of counterintuitive thing you've learned since you've started Angel Investing? How valuable or important the founders are to the success of the business compared to how many businesses you see at an early stage and the time you actually get to spend getting to know a founder. Next up, what would be your top tips to angels wanting to do more international investments? Talk to other investors in the space, learn about market dynamics, what's interesting, who's interesting to invest with, and getting connections and network and knowledge in the market. I know we touched on that one earlier as well, so it's good to get those headline points back across. The final one, and it was a, was it, was a tricky one, but what advice would you give your 10-year younger self if you only had 30 seconds? Don't stay in a role or a company that doesn't inspire you. Life is too short and your passions will ultimately make you successful. I love that. Great one to end on. It's been a pleasure, Edwina. Very refreshing perspectives. Uh, really enjoyed this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was uh, great to speak with you both today. Is this a dream? No, it's not a dream. I'm an angel. Why would God send me an angel? Because God knows that everyone needs a little coaching now and then. I'm loving angels. I saw an angel. All angels say. Touched by an angel, girl. Girl. Yeah.